On Forgotten Gems, we look at some film festival favorites that initially received a lot of attention, but have since either fallen into obscurity or fallen out of favor. We're going to dig them up and relitigate. On this episode, we're looking at a film that was awarded Best Foreign Film at the 1998 Golden Globes with its lead actress nominated for Best Actress at that year's Academy Awards. It's Walter Salas's Central Station. Let's check it out. Welcome to Forgotten Gems, a chance to rediscover festival favorites. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is the king of all media, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. What's going on with you? Liam, things are so great, aren't they? Don't aren't don't you feel positive and optimistic about where we are in the world right now? Oh, sure. Everything is beautiful, and uh, you know, there's <laughs> certainly no problems in places like oh, I don't know, Brazil or India. Or anywhere, really. I mean, who knows? Maybe that'll all be cleared up by the time this episode is released. Um, Yeah. Liam, on the last episode of Forgotten Gems, we watched a movie called Goodbye Monkey. And I have to admit, after recording that episode, after that entire experience, I was feeling pretty bummed out. Yeah, I agree with you. It it was not a movie that filled us with joy or happiness when it comes to talking about movies. And in fact, we started to worry about this whole concept of Forgotten Gems. It's like, what if we just have bummer movie after bummer movie, and maybe, you know, the, the, the theory that we're relitigating, that we're rediscovering these festival favorites, that it's going to work against us, Liam. So I am excited to uh, get into this episode to talk about 1998 Central Station, which we'll, we'll get into in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, Liam... I want to talk about kind of a little bit about its its history. The reason that we chose it for this, the festival favorite, the festival that we're talking about, is the 48th annual Berlin International Film Festival in 1998, where this film, Central Station, won the Golden Bear, the Best Film Award at that festival. It actually uh, was up against some pretty strong competition, including The Big Lebowski, uh, Jim Sheridan's The Boxer, The Butcher Boy, Neil Jordan's great The Butcher Boy was uh, at that festival. Jackie Brown was on it as well. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, the, uh, Wag the Dog, Barry Levinson's Wag the Dog was there. A lot of notable names, but the movie that came out with the Golden Bear was Central do Brasil from Walter Salas, uh, AKA Central Station, which is what we're here to talk about today, Liam. Uh, one of the things that kind of separates this movie, Central Station, from a lot of the movies that we've talked about on Forgotten Gems, is that it didn't just find this uh, success and this kind of like international film festival, that it managed to cross over somewhat into the U.S. in that, again, the lead actress of this film was nominated for an Academy Award, that it won Best Foreign Film at the Golden Globes and also was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards. There's th- This movie got a little bit more recognition at the time than uh, a lot of the films that we've talked about. That said, Liam, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about Central Station. What was your experience with this movie previously? Um, when you sent me the film, it comes with the poster, obviously. Right. And... I saw the poster and thought, oh, I've seen the cover of this DVD for years. In fact, um, when you first said, oh, we're doing Central Station, I was thinking of an entirely different movie. Oh, interesting. I was thinking it was The Station Agent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when Which I saw 
when I saw the the poster, I was like, oh, I've seen the cover of this DVD forever, but I've never seen the film. And then when I thought about it, I thought, because uh, you had given some information about the movie, I was like, I can't believe this movie was so big. And I've never, especially 1998, uh, granted, I was only a year out of high school in 1998. I was, you know, freshman in college. But that was the year I started paying attention to independent and international films. Side note, I hate that I conflate them, but when you're an American, independent and international are basically the same thing <laughs> because they're not Hollywood films, you know? So, you, so right. mm -hmm. th you know, this could have been a huge production and I wouldn't fucking know, you know? Um, but anyways, I, I was trying to see those movies and having watched it, I don't want to get too into what it's about or any of that, but I think it would have very much appealed to me as a 19-year-old in 1998 uh, and yet... I never made an effort to watch it. I, I and I haven't since. It's never been on a watch list for me. I've never even thought about seeing it. It's like it looked the visuals of it were completely familiar and I knew nothing. I couldn't have even told you it was from Brazil at all. I couldn't have told you anything about the movie, even though I feel like I've been seeing that DVD cover since the fucking DVD came out in nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry that this isn't the station agent, but listeners, if you do want to hear us talk about a Tom McCarthy film, you can always listen to our How Do You Do Fellow Kids yeah. episode on The yeah. Cobbler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear more about that. Uh, yeah, I think I have a similar perspective to you. I certainly uh, recognize the poster. It's a movie that I think I had a general awareness of, certainly at the time of the uh, the 71st Academy Awards. Um, but I hadn't seen it at the time, and I hadn't, I've never seen it up to this point. So to me, I was coming out of it somewhere somewhat blind. Um, I do want to say, by the way, that so the actress, the lead actress of this film, Fernanda Montenegro, uh, who we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about at length when we start talking about the movie proper, uh, the actresses that she was up against for Best Actress in 1998 were Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth, Meryl Streep for One True Thing, Emily Watson for Hillary and Jackie, and the eventual winner, uh, Liam, Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love. What do you think about that? <laughs> Uh, although I will say, not just because I think her, <laughs> not just because I think Fernanda uh, Montenegro's performance is actually really good. Like I think she's really great in this movie, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. Sure. Uh, also, because I loved I, again, this was my beginning with going to the art theater. Doug, I sure. saw Elizabeth in the theater and was like, I can't believe I enjoyed that movie. Like it was one of it was one of those movies that I watched thinking this is not for me, a, a young, virile man who enjoys violence. This is not a movie I should enjoy. And I love that movie at the time. I don't know. I haven't watched it much since. So maybe I wouldn't like it anymore. But at the time, I thought it was great. And I'm I'm like, wait, Gwyneth Paltrow won for Shakespeare in Love? But I kind of remember, didn't Shakespeare in Love do really well that yeah, whole Yeah, it year? did. Absolutely. Ah, yeah. oh, fuck that, man. I'm just not stoked on that. Well, I mean, uh, well, maybe you'll be more stoked at this. The best foreign language film in 1998, Central Station lost out to Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful, Liam. Uh, I, I'm also not a big fan of that. However, that was such a phenomenal. Like, it, yeah, I think absolutely. people were so wrapped up in him and in Life is Beautiful that, like, I, I'm like, I, I accept that. I just don't. I just I still can't believe that people were that interested in Shakespeare in Love. It, it it's actually almost impossible to to uh, communicate to someone who wasn't around in 1998 how briefly huge Roberto Benigni and Life Is Beautiful was, and how immediately it flamed out once people got irritated by him. Did he make another movie? What was the next thing he did? 
I, well, I mean, I know he made his uh, adaptation of Pinocchio uh, soon uh, afterwards, which was uh, a complete fucking disaster. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's just, it's not just, a lot of people focus on how annoying he was as a figure in just like his over-the-top excitement about everything. But I, I don't think we should downplay, he also didn't have a hit. Like, he went from this fucking moment and was like, eh, whatever. Like, he, I, 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 in my lifetime, I don't know how often I've seen someone fail to capitalize on their popularity as strongly as he did. You know I what mean, I'm saying? In his defense, I mean, this is someone who had had fame internationally for like 20 sure. years before. Sure. He had even had attempts in the U.S., and I'm not even just talking about Down by Law, which, by the way, his character in Down by Law is basically exactly how he is in real life, which is the thing that everyone got irritated by. But, you know, they, they tried to, to launch him with the Pink Panther series in the in the mid-'90s. Life is Beautiful just seemed like this one-off, like, like sh- unbelievable uh, moment where all of these these factors and all of the things that people liked about him uh, were were spotlighted, but all the things that people didn't like about him were pushed to the side just for a moment. And then once he got a little bit of that attention, remember when he won? I think it was at the Academy Awards when he was like walking across the top of the seats to get to the stage, and it's just like, look at this quirky man. Oh, I never want to see him again in any contact. <laughs> I, I here's the thing, Doug. I didn't feel that way at the time. I, I was like. Good for him. He could take a shit on each of their heads. Doesn't bother me at all. If that's who he wants to be in the world, that's fine. But for me, it was all about, okay, you did this movie. What's next? What are we going to do next? Sure. And I can't think of I can't think of anyone I was that familiar with who then more thoroughly disappeared from my mind's eye. Like if you if you like at pain of death were like name one thing this motherfucker did after Life is Beautiful, you would kill me because I couldn't think of a single well, goddamn I mean, he, thing. He didn't. He actually hasn't done in the last twenty years. He's done very little, just like four or five projects. But but certainly waiting five years to do your follow up to Life Is Beautiful and have it be a universally derided adaptation of Pinocchio probably wasn't the best thing for his uh, international view. Which is funny, of course, because he just um, he just was in another adaptation of Pinocchio in 2019, and that one was he, his. Uh, he played Geppetto in it, and and that was a really well regarded performance. Hmm. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the world did. <laughs> but anyway, Liam, uh, yeah, Central Station lost out to Life is Beautiful at that award. I don't think for at that time period that was considered much of an upset. Uh, I wonder, looking back in retrospect, uh, now talking about Central Station, if that people still feel the same way. But uh, Liam, I think with that, all that info, yeah, this was a film that at the time won tons of awards, was beloved, but since then, haven't heard a lot about it. Let's see if it was uh, lost for a reason. We're going to come back after this break and talk about 1998's Central Station. Winner, best picture at the Berlin Film Festival. The story of an unmarried woman and a little boy in search of the father he has never known. Together, they will share a journey. That will bring them together, tear them apart. And forge a remarkable friendship you will never forget.
from the Academy Award-winning producer of The Garden of the Finzi Cantinis and black and white in color. And starring the extraordinary Fernanda Montenegro. Winner of the Best Actress Award at the Berlin Film Festival. Central Station, an unforgettable emotional experience from Sony Pictures Classics. An emotive journey of a former school teacher who writes letters for illiterate people and a young boy whose mother has just died as they search for the father he never knew. This is 1998 Central Station, directed by Walter Salas. Uh, of course, ha had a lengthy career before this film, but I know him most, Liam, as the director of 2005's Dark Water, the uh, the remake of Dark Water, uh, as well as the Che Guevara film The Motorcycle Diaries and the 2012 adaptation of Jack Kerouac's on the Road. Uh, this is written by Walter Salas, as well as Joao Emanuel Carnero, uh, who's actually a prolific writer and known as, uh, as an author of Brazilian telenovelas, uh, but uh, obviously not something I have a lot of familiarity with myself, as well as Mar Marcos Bernstein, uh, the writer and director of 2004's The Other Side of the Street and 2012's My Sweet Orange Tree. Liam, uh, Central Station actually took me by surprise. You know what's funny about it is that Th this kind of subject matter of someone kind of uh, forced into a relationship where they have to take care of a child sure. and get them like they have to go on a journey together yeah. feels like something I've seen a thousand times before in Hollywood movies. And those are always cloying and silly and and and, uh, you know, they tend to be very starry eyed in ways that I find really unpleasant. I want to see what your perspective is on that sort of material taken from from the perspective of this film. Uh, we've mentioned before, by the way, this stars Fernanda Montenegro as Isadora, as, as, as Isadora the woman who, uh, a former school teacher who, yeah, she sits in Central Station and dictates, or people dictate, I say, to her, uh, these letters that they want to write, which sometimes she sends, sometimes she just rips up, sometimes she just keeps in a, uh, uh, a drawer in her apartment. Um, and we have uh, Vinicius de Oliveira as Jose, uh, the uh, the young child that she is tasked with taking care of. They really are the two main characters all the way uh, through this. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess we should start, Liam. What did you think of 1998's Central Station? Well, I think a good place to start is the comparison you made, which is like yeah. a tradition in Hollywood is the crusty old man yes. with the young girl or boy that they have to keep an eye on now. And that can range from like um uh like comedic sort of things. Like I, I'm I'm picturing like a grumpy old man sort of sure. vibe. Mm -hmm. yep. Or more touching, you know, maybe a criminal or something. Even even in like comic books, right? Like the the idea of Wolverine and Kitty Pride sort of thing. You know, like they're that relationship is such a hollowed one. But in so many of the films that I'm thinking of, it it is kind of corny. It is very much whatever. And and for me the immediate realization of this film that felt like okay, this is familiar, but it's different, is that um, in this world, I feel like there are immediately stakes, right? That um, I believe very much that one option is that this kid just lives on the street and she just never does anything about it. And he, I don't know, gets sold into sexual slavery or becomes a a drug dealer or whatever it is that is sort of the the nefarious aspect of what's going on in 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 Rio at this time. It, it, at no point do you feel like well of course she's going to have to take care of him. Right. I, I, she's and and I don't just mean because the world that they're living in is is stark, right? It's a stark, harsh 
place that 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 they are a part of in which it's not clear that there's an easy safety net for him to sort of end up in. I but think we should make that clear, by the way. This is a Brazilian film. It mm-hmm. takes place in Rio, mm-hmm. and it, it does not shy away from the fact that there, for a child who loses his parents suddenly, there are, as you said, there are no safety nets available for a child like that. There's a, there's a place they could take him to that it's not clear would be a good place to go, but it's right. sort of the only responsible option. But it's, for an American, it'd be worth noticing, no one came to bring him to that place. Yes. No one gives a fuck. Some adult has to just go... All right, I guess I'll take you to the orphan house, I guess. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there's no one's going to do it for you. There isn't that bureaucratic uh, machine in place that we associate with this country, and I probably with Canada too. All that to say, the stakes is part of that. I think also it's her characterization, which is like, I don't think her, that Dora is immediately unlikable, but the film immediately shows you that she has issues and that she's a bit selfish. And so... When you see her thinking, what am I going to do about this kid? In a lot of the films, we see this Hollywood films, no part of you ever believes the person's not going to take care of the kid. Yes. For most mm-hmm. of them. You know, come on, whatever you're doing right now is just a waste of time. Get to the get to the journey because there's no way that this person's abandoning the kid. There are moments in this film where I thought, ah, I think they're going to go on the journey, but like, uh, maybe something fucked up's going to happen first like I, like as much as i as a as a i don't want to say sophisticated but as an experienced viewer <laughs> thinks it's likely they're about to go on this journey together the film never really holds your hand to say trust us it's all going to be okay i think throughout this movie it's entirely possible that something dark is going to happen and this is going to be a bummer film um and <laughs> That makes it better in a in a really severe way, I think. At the very least, you know that the journey that they're going on, that the person that they're trying to visit, which is his father, uh, who we know that his mother was estranged from, we there's hints all the way through that he is not going to be a responsible person, that there's going to be some sort of problem at the end. And in fact, it's even teased several times that, you know, someone that he thinks is his father at first, uh, and, and then we find out it's not. Like, the suggestion is that... that this is not going to be a reconciliation that's going to be positive for everybody. So that the fact that this movie, and we're not going to go into too much detail on it, has, uh, I guess what you could interpret as the happiest possible ending, <laughs> all things considered, is kind of a surprise. Because it it is not a film that is afraid to tread into dark places. And I, I think a lot of that is in her characterization. She makes yes. this person real. And you believe in the ways that she might choose something selfish you know right i mean literally again i you know i don't know how many people see this film i i'm, I'm not necessarily afraid to spoil it but i think there are some surprises here uh so i don't know how much we want to get into spoiling those surprises i don't, I don't want to talk about the very ending but i think everything else is pretty okay so she literally sell but she basically not knowing exactly what's going to happen to him sells him yes. sells him to people who Perhaps she's convinced herself that they have the best intentions for him, but there's no guarantee. They might want to yeah. harvest his organs. They want might want to you know put him into sexual slavery. It's not clear. All she knows is they seem nice and they gave her a thousand bucks. That's all she knows about these people. Which often, if someone's nice and gives you a thousand bucks in exchange for a child, that is a bad person. And yeah. so whatever it is, well, she buys do, a TV with immediately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think um, I think you believe it. And even when she does make the turn. And in a lot of these narratives, the person, the the grumpy, angry, sad, whatever it is, person who turns around, 
the reasons are obscure. You don't know why they're making these decisions. And you don't know everything about this character up front. But when she does change her mind, it felt real to me. I believed it. And that might be the performance more than the script. I'm not sure. But for whatever whatever alchemy is there, I believe her when she's like, uh, I really like this TV, but maybe that was a bad call. And it's worth noting, she doesn't immediately sell the TV and go buy the kid back either. She just steals him, which does <laughs> feel like a, a cake and eating it too moment. Um, but, uh, you know, and that sort of is a theme throughout the movie. She's capable of being kind to him, but she's not necessarily willing to, like, sacrifice herself all the time either. And so she's continually balancing this feeling of wanting to do right by him, as we find out later, partly inspired by her own past and her own yeah. parents' mm -hmm. passing, but also, like, is trying to be a rational person. Like, one of the things I thought about a lot while I was watching this movie is how as much as this culture that we live in, uh, which, granted, where we live is different than Brazil in some ways, but I think this is a universal thing, we talk a lot about compassion and we talk mm -hmm. a lot about caring for others but we don't always acknowledge how much is at stake in doing that that actually caring for people might cost you a lot yes. and that's something that this movie is unafraid to show that like every time she wavers of course you want her to make the quote-unquote right decision but some of those times you really feel like I don't know. That's a tough call. Like she, she's continually being asked to make tougher and tougher calls as to what she's willing to do. And a lot of times, while she doesn't maybe do as much as characters in a movie would do, she does end up doing more than actual real people might be willing to do. It it really does kind of beg the question of the audience that that in this circumstance where she doesn't have any responsibility to this child, her only connection to him at all was that she she transcribed this letter that his mother wrote and that so she knows a little bit about him and his circumstance. His mother is killed right in front of the station in which she spends her days, most days, I, I suppose. And now she knows that this kid is basically just living at the station and that is what his future is and who knows how much darker it's going to get. So the small bit of responsibility at first is just like, okay, I'm going to take you home and then I'm going to put you into this sketchy orphanage. Then she, because, uh, you know, her friend kind of guilts her a little bit and you can see her tossing and turning at night, she goes and retrieves him from the orphanage. Okay, the next thing is I'm going to help you find your father, but I'm not going to take you all the way there. I'm going to get you on the bus. We're going to get you to a place where the bus will bring you the rest of the way, and that'll be enough for me. That's all my responsibility. I'm already going well and above and beyond what I, I required, let's say, to do. Then that doesn't work out, and then she has to go the rest of the way, and then she has to like try to track down the father directly. And it becomes this journey of uh, her increased responsibility that starts from a decision of, of just this tiny bit of compassion, but it plays right into what you're saying, which is that... The, the care that she tr she tries to kind of soft pedal the amount of responsibility that she has right she's going to go she's going to give it a quarter she's going to give it halfway but she's not willing to put herself all the way in being like i'm going to see him on this journey and it's only when she eventually does that and they are able to kind of connect on a closer level and particularly when they're able to find some sort of of 
joy because there's so much kind of misery in this movie up until the point where they um they reach this location and that they're able to make a little bit of money and and feel a little bit more secure uh that that that's when she's able to kind of let go of some of these feelings that she has and to open up a little bit but this is a really extraordinary performance right because it is so closed off because it is so unsympathetic yeah for such a large part of the movie right And, and she's it's so interesting to me that this character is supposed to be a former school teacher, but she has so little uh, love for a kid, right? Because you think that she would have had all this experience with kids. It's never even mentioned or talked about in any of the the, the dialogue. We just know that she used to teach in a school, and now she does this thing uh, for a little extra money where she transcribes letters for people who are illiterate. And it's a, it's, it's a really... It's a really unique way of portraying this because even in in a Hollywood movie that is willing to go into some dark places, they would never make a character this potentially loathsome right. as a lead character because they would feel like there's no way that they'd be able to bounce back from it. But this character does, and I think that the reason it does is because of the strength of that performance. And I think it's worth noting, I mean, I think you... I don't know how much we said about it already, but I think that um, for me... I think the kid is only mildly annoying and as annoying in a way <laughs> that is very believable for a kid that age. Yes, yeah, absolutely. When he's at his most pissy with her, she did just basically sell him into slavery. And we don't know yet what kind of slavery it might have been, but if 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 a woman who was meant to help you in your deepest moment of need just sells you for a thousand bucks you'd be real pissy with them too. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a child. So like, I think that a lot of times, even when he is acting a bit irrational, it's often in times when it is actually very rational that he's acting irrational. Absolutely. Because he's been put through so much insanity and keeps being pushed and pushed in ways that don't make any sense to, to treat a child. But honestly, again, in other circumstances, this would be about her having some reason to hide what she's doing. But what is clear again and again in the film is it doesn't seem like anybody else cares. Like, no one's stopping to going, who are you people? And why do you have this child? Like, people just mostly yeah. are uninvested in what's Absolutely, happening to them. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I want to suggest, Doug, and I want to know for you if you got this feeling. I want to suggest that the theme of religion is deeply embedded in this film and i want to know if you picked Mm -hmm. up on it as well well i mean i have it in our our topic list here specifically because i i not only think that it i think it's the core of this movie i agree actually i agree the the awakening that she has in the final third of the movie is is in some way a religious awakening that is represented in the movie by this religious procession that when they were making the movie they hired actors to kind of start this religious procession and it became an actual religious procession. So they just kind of documented it as it was happening. Yeah. Uh, and you can kind of feel the reality of how people are responding to it as they're kind of crying out that they're sinners and that they, they want forgiveness. And the, you can feel that people are feeling something real with it. But it's not just that scene. It's all the way throughout right. the movie. People are talking about their faith. And, you know, and it's not presented as unfallible. There's a part in the movie where these two characters, um, where Dora and the kid, they encounter this truck driver who is a, um, he, you can tell he's religious. He has uh, it, uh, he has kind of scripture and things written all over his vehicle. It's clear that he wants to convert them in some way, even though he's not kind of overt about it. Uh, but he, he talks openly about it. But she 
starts to feel a connection with him, a romantic connection to some extent. And I, when she tries to make that uh, clear to him, his response is to run away from it because it comes along with her tempting him with alcohol that he feels like, you know, there's obviously right. the, the way that she comes to him with her feelings for him. To him, he feels as temptation to this way of life that he has been trying to get away mm -hmm. from and then he runs away from it. But religion is then shown to be a, uh, a, th a thing that can also heal uh, the people that have, have been traumatized. And that's another thing, that these two characters, they're both traumatized in different ways. I mean, she talks about her past in very kind of... of, of um, she talks about her past in vague terms, but it's always with the idea that she feels very disconnected from her father and that mm -hmm. she doesn't... She, you know, and, and the way that your memories kind of fade away. And, and it, you can feel how that kind of feeds into her cynicism when it comes to the letters that she writes that she's unwilling to even send in the first place. So the idea that, that there's this kind of religious catharsis that she feels, mm -hmm. particularly in that sequence, is key to her kind of transformation at the end of the film. But I think there's also a question of authenticity because yes. I think the idea of that religious procession you know, it's it's like a pilgrimage, right? They're with these pilgrims, right? But she's on a real pilgrimage yes. because she is helping this kid, whether she's fully willing to or not. Her her um uh her internal state of willingness is less important than her actions, right? And in some sense, I feel like, and maybe this is my reading into it, but this is the vibe I get. What she's doing is, in a sense, more authentic than these devoted pilgrims who are just going to this site and then lambasting themselves, who, for the most part, again, no one cares about this child, you yeah. know, that <laughs> this child could do anything and no one's even going to notice, even when she... Uh, falls out from exhaustion, sickness, whatever. She right. has an episode. He's left to care for her because right. none of these pilgrims can be fucking yeah, bothered. She doesn't wake up in a hospital. She wakes up on the side of the road with him caring for her. Yeah. I think the re I think that's part of my response here is like uh, I mean, uh, some of it is not subtle. We're 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 talking about it in a way, you know, the fact that they're going to find his father and instead they find Moses and Isaiah, although the Portuguese translations of those names, it might be not clear to everyone that that's what their names are. But right, right. their names are Moses and Isaiah. His dad is named Jesus, right? But he's disappeared, which, you know, read into that what you will. <laughs> um, but, that, you know, that they find these two and that they're they're the sweetest, you know, whatever, whatever. We, and, and we don't want to spoil the end. But the point is, they're going to see they're going to see these people. I don't think any of that is very subtle in a way, but not in a way that makes it bad. I think it's all yeah. out there for you. That doesn't mean if you're someone who's like, well, I'm not interested in ideas of Christianity or faithfulness or authenticity. That doesn't mean you won't enjoy the film. There's a human drama going on here. But when I was watching the film, I suspect, though I don't have any proof of this, that the person making the film is doing what I think is should be done, which is combining this question of people's faith with a human drama and reminding us that actually the human drama itself is what is interesting about the faith, not putting on white and feeling shilty, shitty because you kind of want to fuck your neighbor. That's like not meaningful, actually. It might me, mean something to you, but it's not actually that interesting. What she's doing, she's faced with this human suffering that like, clearly most people don't give a fuck about, and even though she's so reluctant, she doesn't see it as her job, but there's something about it that just keeps compelling her forward. That is an act of faith, because she has mm -hmm. no clue what's going to happen. That act of faith, when you And look, she's stripped of everything, right? Yes. I mean, she, at, at that point, she has no money, no right. way to even get back, right? right? All even the attempts 
of, of getting her friend to send her money. That is all uh, failed. So she she basically is as at her at the bottom rung, right? She has nowhere to go. In it, in those ways, it's so the movie to me is so Christian, regardless of whether it's meant to be faithful. I don't know that right. the movie has a thought in its head about the the literal existence of God, which is sure. like what a lot of us think faith is. But it has very strong opinions about human compassion and what it means to reach out and how she doesn't – Again, we don't want to ruin the ending, but the film is not about wrapping everything up in a perfect bow. No. I don't think that's what happens here. But it does have very strong inclinations about what forgiveness and love and compassion are about, even mm-hmm. if they're couched in such a real-world thing. And that, to me, is very faithful, even if it might be motivated by someone who has actually given up on what most people would consider faith. That they might say... Uh, I meant that as a criticism of the church and that the church sure. has failed. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of saints thought the church had failed too. Like, I, for from my perspective, this is one of the most Christian films I've watched in a long time right, right. because it's about all the things that are supposed to matter about that thing. You know what I mean? And it, and it presents it in a way that doesn't demand you get on board with a ideology. You don't have to believe or not believe. I do think people who are more stoked on Jesus than us would still find this movie compelling, even if it's criticizing in some ways, the way that people act who are Christians. I don't think it at any time declares war on anyone's faith, but I do, but I do think you also don't have to be interested in religion to see this like really compelling human drama where someone's life is being changed because they're unwilling to stop caring. Cause that's what it comes down to at some point for her to leave. She'd have to stop caring and she can't stop caring. She just can't do it. And I think that that is significant. The fact that she cares is something that she's tried to hide within her. Yes. Yes. So, so the, you know, it's something that she tosses and turns with, or she might pass out from being overwhelmed with it. It's something that she has, cut off from herself and this is what the i guess in some way whether it be faith or the journey or some combination of it it is able to kind of open up that you know that section of herself that allows her to feel that compassion more openly and which is why the letter that she writes at the very end which again is not giving anything away the letter that she writes is it feels kind of cumulative right it feels like everything has been leading up to that moment and it also there's a decision that she makes at the end of this movie which some people might interpret as an abandonment, which at that point in the movie, we know that it's not, right? That we know that it's a decision that's made uh, for the benefit of, of her, but also, more importantly, the benefit of him, and that it's supposed to be some sort of positive movement in his life. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a really interesting journey, and it's not Hollywoodized. But the strange thing about this movie, Liam, one of the strange things, is that uh, I, I will have put uh, a clip from the trailer uh, in between our first and se- second segments of this podcast, you'll hear it. It that trailer is just like it was like a family film from like 1992. Oh it's man! Like, Welcome, you know, c- c- join us on a journey of compassion. You know, it really is just the most cliched stuff to make it look like as Hollywood as possible. And the thing is, you can come out of this movie still feeling the same sort of way that you might feel from one of those kind of cliched movies. But the the actual process from getting to the beginning to the end is, I think, a lot more complex and a lot more layered and a lot more interesting simply because it doesn't soft pedal a lot of the more difficult things. It doesn't go it doesn't. I mean, it gets into some pretty dark places. Certainly that potential orphanage and what that could mean is a very dark thing, but it, it keeps it. It never goes so dark that you feel like that there's no way that they can pull up, but they certainly flirt with that. 
I agree, and I and, and but to me, that's what makes it feel realistic. Absolutely, it's, it's dark enough to feel based in reality, which isn't to say if it had gone more upsetting that that makes it not real because the real world can be pretty fucked up. But I think it feels more plausible that it there the darkness is there, but it's not all the movie is about. So Central Station was actually the most profitable. Brazilian film up until City of God came out in the early 2000s. I mean, this was a movie that was sort of a sensation in its home country. And it is a movie that I think still has a lot of value. I was I was actually a little surprised, particularly in the first half hour or so, I, because I was I was not sure that I was going to warm to this main character. Sure. It's really a testament to that performance, which is really incredible. Just an unbelievable performance. And I'll tell you, it's rare that a, a foreign film performance gets nominated for an Academy Award. And my experience right. is when that does happen, those performances are like 10 times better than any of the other performances. Yeah. Like it has to be particularly good. But Fernanda Montenegro in this is just unbelievable. Um, but Liam, I do want to ask you, you know, is this movie a forgotten gem? I don't know if it's necessarily fair to call it forgotten, but I will say that if I, w- I went over to my letterbox, wasn't like a lot of our friends have been reviewing this movie. Not a lot of our friends have been watching Central Station over the last few years. Is it a forgotten gem, and do you think it's uh, worthy of reading, being discovered? I, I will concede on its forgottenness to the extent that um, maybe for people whose cinephilia is prestige films of the 90s this is still a movie that is being talked about but when it comes to the sort of um uh movie fans who uh tend to be really involved in film twitter and really hyping up certain kinds of movies i don't hear about this a lot in fact if i I bet a lot of film fans who you asked okay what's a what's a well-known big deal brazilian film you're just going to hear City of God over and over and over yeah, again. Um, absolutely. And that's coming from a huge City of God fan. I'm not trying to diss that movie, but I think that this film has been forgotten in the light of the of the way that even today, it, what is it, 20 years since almost from City of God or whatever? I forget. Yeah, the year, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, people still talk about it like it just came out and it's still like as visceral. And this movie is not getting that kind of attention. Right. I think it deserves, again, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that kind of attention because I do think City of God is like a next level film. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and, 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 the, and I like the, the series too, the, the, the yep. television series. Still, this movie's really great. It's really great. And I get that it might be a turnoff for some people who do want a little more cynicism and a little more bite to their uh, movies that they enjoy. But. It's still really fucking good, man. Like, I just, I was, I don't want to say I was surprised with the awards that it got. I expected something that was probably pretty good, but I kind of love this movie. You know, I kind of was taken by surprise a teeny bit by the movie. Just not that it's good, but that it affected me a little bit, you know? I will say the final 20 minutes is what pushed me over the edge on how much I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it went to a place of humanity that wasn't. Like I, like, like I said, it wasn't cloying. It wasn't a cliche. It went to a place that I felt was very real and that was earned by what came before it. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it was emotional in a way that felt uh, that it came from a real place, which is not something that, we, that I feel in a lot of the Hollywood movies that, that take a similar uh, turn. It's not exactly Dutch or over right. the top or something right. like that. Liam, on the next episode of Forgotten Gems, we are going to check out 2004's Maria Full of Grace. Featured at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival, uh, where it uh, won the Audience Award for Dramatic Film. 
uh, with the lead actress Catalina Sandino Moreno was actually uh, named Best Actress at the Berlin Film Festival and also was nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. Another foreign film mm. that has an Academy Award nominated mm-hmm. actress, Liam. So the first, episode- first film we've covered that I had a poster on my wall for. Oh, wow. Okay, so not so forgotten by Liam O'Donnell, but uh, maybe in the wider world, maybe not talked about as much. 2004's Maria Full of Grace on the next episode of Forgotten Gems. Liam, for people who want to check out more Forgotten Gems, or more yeah. episodes of the Cinema Smorgasbord podcast, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, if they head over to cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, they can check out the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as a whole family of podcasts ranging from film to comics to society. Uh, well, there's also lots of interesting articles there, merch for sale, and our Patreon, all of which is available at C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X.com. They can also head over to our website, cinemasmorgasbord.com, where they can hit up our archive of episodes of... Uh, a variety of shows, uh, our podcast covering Carol Kane, our podcast going through the the filmography of John Singleton, our new show talking about Eurocrime. Uh, there's a whole bunch of episodes we've done and more to come over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you can also check out both Liam and myself on Twitter as well as Cinema Smorgasbord itself. Check us out at Cinema Smorgas, S-M-O-R-G for the site. And if you want to check out Liam, it's at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. Or you can always follow me at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you want to leave us some feedback on the site, we'd appreciate it very much. And you can always leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. But Liam, for now, we need to say good night. We'll be back very soon with 2004's Maria Full of Grace. Good night. Night night. Not so long